To the Prime Minister, Mr. Richard Benyon. Number one, sir. Mr. Speaker, I'm sure the whole House will wish to join me in paying tribute to the sacrifice of soldiers who have lost their lives in Afghanistan. They are Rifleman Jonathan Allott, Rifleman Liam Morn from the 3rd Battalion, the Rifles, Lance Corporal Thomas Keel from 4th Battalion, the Rifles, attached to 3rd Battalion, the Rifles, Corporal Stephen Thompson from 1st Battalion, the Rifles, attached to 3rd Battalion, the Rifles. These men have made the greatest of sacrifices in the service of their country and their comrades. Their heroism and bravery cannot and will not be forgotten. Their legacy will be in the future that is being won for the people of Afghanistan and the protection they are securing for the British people. They will be remembered with great pride by the British people and by their families. As we honour their memory, we send our sincere condolences to their families and loved ones who feel their loss the most. The debt that we owe them can never be repaid. Mr. Speaker, the whole House, I think, will want to pay tribute also to the life of Michael Foote. He will be remembered as a man of deep principle and passionate idealism, who was, in the views of many on all sides of this House, the greatest parliamentary debater of his generation. Mr. Speaker, this morning I have meetings with Minister, your colleagues and others. In addition to my duties in the House, I shall have further such meetings later today. Mr. Richard Benyon. The whole House will want to concur with the words of condolence the Prime Minister has offered to those members of the Rifles who lost their life. For those of us that served with the regiment that has now become the Rifles, we feel that loss, uh, the loss of the families very intensely, but it's matched with pride at what that regiment has become yeah. and what it has achieved. Yeah. The Army Families Federation has carried out postal trials which prove that it is unlikely that the vast majority of our armed forces serving overseas will be able to vote in the coming elections. Will the Prime Minister intervene to ensure that we don't have the perverse situation that we have people fighting abroad for others to have the right to vote, but we're denying them that right themselves? Yeah, Mr. I do, I do uh, repeat again uh, and endorse what he has said, uh, not only about the regiment that he is talking about, but also about the bravery of the individual soldiers. I do also say to him that uh, the Justice Secretary is making the best arrangements possible so that every soldier and every member of the armed forces overseas uh, who has a vote will be able to cast their vote, and I will personally write to him about all the arrangements that are being made. It is absolutely right that everyone should have, to have, have the chance to cast their vote in every election. Mr David Drew. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Can I ask to be associated with the remarks on our, the loss of life and also of uh, the late lamented Michael Foote? I believe my right honourable friend is in favour of full financial disclosure by parliamentarians. With that in mind, will he assure me that the Cabinet Office is currently undertaking an investigation into the tax returns of the noble Lord Ashcroft? Mr Speaker, I, I, I have been involved, I've been involved in no such investigation of Lord Ashcroft. Uh, I, have to tell, I have to tell the House I have to tell the House I believe the assurances that were made in December 2007 that Lord Ashcroft was paying his taxes and was a resident in Britain. These assurances were given us in an interview by the Leader of the Opposition. David Cameron. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Can I, can I first of all echo what the Prime Minister said about Michael Foote 
Obviously, I did not serve with him in the Commons, but have always admired his writing, his brilliant oratory, and above all, his dedication to this House of Commons. While I did not agree with much of what he said, not least about the Soviet Union and disarmament, uh, he held all his views with conviction and with passion, and that is how we should remember him. Can I also join the Prime Minister in paying tribute to the four servicemen who have lost their lives in Afghanistan in the last seven days? Corporal Stephen Thompson, Lance Corporal Tom Keogh, Rifleman Liam Morn, and Rifleman Jonathan Allard. We pay tribute to their bravery and their service, and as the Prime Minister said, we will not forget what they have done. Yesterday, we had the inquest into the deaths of four soldiers in Afghanistan in 2008. At the time, the Defence Minister, the Honourable Member Grantham and Stanford, linked their deaths to the Commander's choice of vehicle. This was flatly contradicted by what the Coroner said. So will the Prime Minister now apologise on behalf of his Minister? The Minister apologised at the time, and I repeat that apology. The issue uh, for, for, for me is, first of all, that our thoughts must be with the families of Corporal Sarah Bryant, Corporal Sean Reeve, Lance Corporal Richard Larkin and Trooper Paul Stout. They also died serving their country and building a safer Afghanistan and therefore a safer Britain. I have read the, the report of, uh, uh, from the inquest. That inquest uh, uh, report from the coroner will go to the Ministry of Defence. They have said that they will look at every detail that is raised by the coroner and take whatever action is necessary. There are really three areas that have got to be uh, uh, looked at and we've got to be absolutely sure that everything possible is being done. First is on vehicles themselves, where we have ordered uh, 1,800 new vehicles uh, since 2006 at a cost of 1.7 billion to make sure uh, that we have the vehicles that are necessary for the commanders on the ground. Uh, secondly, uh, on uh, training, uh, we have made sure that the training is better and it will be improved for those who are going to Afghanistan. And third, on IEDs themselves. As everybody knows, the guerrilla warfare in Iraq and in Afghanistan led to them starting to use IEDs, and we had to take extra measures to deal with that. We have improved our engineering capability, our surveillance capability. We have now uh, 3,000 uh, mine detector machines on the ground for our troops. That will double over the next few months. We are doing everything we can uh, to deal with the IED threat. So we are answering legitimate questions that have been raised. And I hope that we can also pay tribute to the dignity with which the uh, parents of those uh, died spoke yesterday. Uh, the dignity which they showed is something that I believe impressed everybody throughout all the country. David Cameron. Thank you, Mr Speaker. The Prime Minister has now apologised for something that should never have been said by the Minister, and the House will be grateful for that. From that apology, let me turn to the broader issue of the Prime Minister's evidence to the Chilcot inquiry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Following his evidence, one former Chief of the Defence Staff said the Prime Minister was being disingenuous. Another former the Chief of the Defence Staff said he was dissembling. Both these people worked with the Prime Minister. Oh, it's because they're Tories, is it? That's it, is it? That is what this tribalist, divisive government thinks about people who serve our country. I think, first of all, this Prime Minister should get up and dissociate himself completely with what those people have said. Mr. Speaker. Mr. Speaker. Mr Speaker, it is common cause within this House that we support the campaign in Iraq and in Afghanistan. And it is common cause, it is common cause also that we do not send our troops into battle without the commanders assuring us that they are properly equipped for the operations they are undertaking. 
In every instance where the Ministry of Defence asks for equipment under URs, that's urgent operational requirements, that equipment was given. And if I may say so, as far as vehicles were concerned, the Leader of the Opposition praised us last summer for what we'd done to increase the number of vehicles in Afghanistan. So if we are talking about these issues, let us find where the common ground is rather than where there is division. His members of parliament have questioned the integrity of people who've served this country, fought for this country, who are essays in bravery of this country. And before we go on, he's got to get to that dispatch box and dissociate himself from those disgraceful remarks. Mr Speaker, Speaker, I have never at any time criticised the patriotism of anybody who has been involved in the defence establishment of this country. But I think, I, think, I think we should have a debate about this which is both serious and which is based on facts. And I have to say to him that every, every request that we made, every request that was made to us by the Ministry of Defence for urgent operational requirements were met. We have spent £18 billion in Afghanistan in Iraq on top of the Ministry of Defence budgets. I assure this House that every time, every time our commanders go into action, I ask them for an assurance that they have the equipment they need for the oper- operation. I, I want to applaud the patriotism of everyone who serves our country, and so does the vast majority of this House. The Prime Minister has given us a lecture this morning outside the House on character, but he hasn't got the character to stand up to his own backbenchers. It is a disgraceful slur. It is not just Chiefs of the Defence Staff who have said this. We have had former Permanent Secretary at the Ministry of Defence talking about guillotine budget. We have had a serving Permanent Secretary talking about a serious dispute between the Treasury and the MOD. We have had the former Commander of the Paras in Afghanistan saying he was, and I quote, staggered by the lack of any sense of responsibility from the Prime Minister. Why does the Prime Minister think that all these people dedicated to the defence of this country are wrong while only he is right? Mr Mr. Speaker, I put the facts before the inquiry on Friday. And I said to the inquiry very clearly about, first of all, the expenditure of the Ministry of Defence, which has been rising in real terms under this government. And I said, in addition to that expenditure, addition to that expenditure, eight billion pounds had been spent in Iraq, and that we are spending nine billion pounds in Afghanistan. And I have to say to him that the Chief of the Defence Staff has said on record that we are the best equipped force that we have ever been. And that is the person who both on the ground and in his position, has got to satisfy himself that the forces have the equipment they need. And I have have also to tell him, I've got to take no uh, lectures on integrity from the man who won't even answer one question about Lord Ashcroft. Government backbenchers must calm down. We must hear Mr David Cameron. Talks about the former Chiefs of the Defence Staff. The fact is, one said he was dissembling, the other said he was disingenuous. The Prime Minister answers every question by talking about urgent operational requirements. Of course, they didn't reject those, but they never thought, what did that mean for the defence budget? The fact is, he's tried to fight two wars on a peacetime budget. Will he confirm this? Will he confirm that when he was Chancellor, the Treasury massively underestimated the cost of the war in Afghanistan? 
no, Miss, Miss, Mr. Speaker, I have to, I have to tell him that the defence budget has been rising every year. He might have a complaint if we were cutting the defence budget every year, but it is rising every year. The only time the defence budget has been cut was in the ten years before 1997, when it was cut by 30 per cent by a Conservative government, by half a billion a year, and the Shadow Defence Secretary has had to apologise for the cuts that the Conservatives made. The reason the defence budget fell in the 90s is under the Conservatives we won the Cold War. a very specific question. Did he underestimate the cost of the war in Afghanistan? I have a freedom of information request saying the cost of the war was estimated at hundreds of millions of pounds. The cost this year is four billion pounds. Isn't it the case? We've got ministers blaming commanders. We've got a prime minister failing to take responsibility. A government that's been found out. Shouldn't everyone conclude they failed to plan, they failed to act, they failed to prepare, and they failed in their duty of care? Mr. Speaker, Mr. Speaker, first of all, first of all, in defence, he cannot deny the fact that the budget is rising every year in real terms, and he cannot deny the fact when he raises the question of Afghanistan that we have now spent nine billion pounds on Afghanistan, and that is on top of the defence budget. As for his talk about the Cold War, talk about him asking for no partisanship in the House of Commons. <laughs> and, 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 and Mr. Speaker. I, I seem to remember that he was at school at the time. <laughs> no, Mr. Speaker, the, the Conservative Party, the Conservative Party, talk about the new politics. But how can there be new politics with Lord Ashcroft? The Conservative Party talk about modernisation. But how can there be modernisation with Lord Ashcroft? And the Conservative Party talk about change. How can they ever change as long as Lord Ashcroft is Vice Chairman of the party? Order! 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 I've already told Mr Twig I'm worried about him. Mr Burns, your heckling is as boring as it is boorish. Stop it or leave the chamber. I don't mind which. Mr Neil Turner. Speaker. Wigan has 19 Shewisgarth centres. Beechill Primary School is following Westfield, Woodfield and Cannon Sharple School in being rebuilt. And every secondary school is being rebuilt through the Building Schools for the Future programme. Can I ask my right honourable friend to guarantee that any government led by him will continue to invest in our children, the citizens of my constituency and in our country? Yeah. Mr Speaker, I can tell the House that we have now built 3,400 Shewisgarth Children's Centre. There were none in 1997, 
There are about five or six in every constituency of England now. And three and four year olds are now entitled to a free part time early education place. And Mr. Speaker, if the Conservative Party persist in their policy, which is to cut Sure Start children's centres only to a minority of children, then millions of children in this country will lose out on early education and the whole country will suffer. Yeah. Mr. Nick Clegg. I'd like to uh, obviously add my own expressions of sympathy and condolence to the family and friends uh, of Corporal Stephen Thompson from 1st Battalion, the Rifles, Lance Corporal Tom Keogh from 4th Battalion, the Rifles, Rifleman Liam Morn of 3rd Battalion, the Rifles, Rifleman Jonathan Allott of 3rd Battalion, the Rifles, uh, all of whom who tragically lost their lives serving so bravely, so selflessly in Afghanistan this last week. And I'd also like to add my own tribute and that of everybody on these benches uh, to the late and lamented Michael Foote, as, as we know from the warm tributes paid earlier. He was a, a great parliamentarian, a great orator, a great intellectual, but above all, a man of great integrity. And Mr Speaker, today's uh, report from the National Audit Office lifts the lid on Labour's dark secret. 13 years, 13 years of tough talk on crime has actually turned our prisons into colleges of crime. Repeat crime, as the report shows, now costs the taxpayer £10 billion a year, and the human cost to the tens of thousands of victims is even higher. Will he now admit the truth? This government isn't tough on criminals because it's turning the young offenders of today into the hardened criminals of tomorrow. Yes, Mr Speaker, I've just got to tell him the facts. Uh, Reoffending amongst young people is down 25%. So whatever he says, he's got to face up to the fact that crime is down in this country, violent crime is down in this country, the number of police in this country has gone up, and people have a right to feel safer, and we are doing more with neighbourhood policing, but he cannot give the House information that he cannot back up by the statistics. Mr Nick Clegg. How can he defend a record in which nine out of every ten young men who go into prison on short-term prison sentences go out and commit another crime within two years. Under Labour, prison isn't working. He is spending 11 times more locking children up than stopping them from committing crime in the first place. So won't he just admit he talks tough on crime, ignores the evidence, and it's the victims who end up paying the price? Yeah. Mr Speaker, again, he cannot ignore the facts. There are 20,000 more prison places. Adult reoffending has fallen. Youth, youth reoffending youth reoffending has fallen. And if he would support us on CCTV and DNA, we might be more able to catch criminals at the right time and in the right place. I have to say to him, I, I share with him a desire that we prevent young people from reoffending, and I share with him a desire that prison is better at educating people for the future, but he cannot at the same time ignore the advances that have been made and that youth reoffending is down 25%. Fiona McTaggart. Thank you, Mr Speaker. In this week, which includes International Women's Day and Mother's Day, is the Prime Minister aware that Mum's Nest is organising a group of women to come to this House on Friday in order to remind us all that there are still half a million women around the world who die in childbirth and two million children who die on the first day of their lives? Would the Prime Minister commit to action to reduce this international death of women and newly born children. Mr Speaker, I, I applaud the work that she does and the White Ribbon Alliance and other organisations to highlight the avoidable loss of maternal life during childbirth 
and at the same time the, the damage that arises because the children who are born are without uh, mothers. Uh, and I do say to her that the theme of the G8 uh, this year will be to make advances on maternal mortality and make sure that mothers are better prepared uh, and given better help. And it is not a huge amount of money that each mother needs so that she can have a safe pregnancy, but it is vital that we all together make sure that these supplies are available. It is one of the great causes of our time to reduce maternal mortality and reduce infant childbirth, and I hope that the whole House can support that cause. Richard Baker. Mr yeah, yeah. Speaker, the Prime Minister referred earlier to vehicles, training and IEDs as the three issues that needed now to be examined. But the Wiltshire uh, and Swindon coroner, David Masters, was very clear that the soldiers he named earlier were killed unlawfully. That was the verdict, because they had unsuitable vehicles, they had inadequate training, and they had insufficient bomb-making equipment. So the question is, why would he send people into battle with unsuitable vehicles, inadequate training, and unsuitable, uh, in, in, insufficient bomb-making equipment? Mr Speaker, I, ju I, just, I, just, I just have to say to them that before any operation is carried out, uh, we ask those people who are in charge if they have the equipment that is needed to undertake this operation. What we are dealing with here is a situation where four uh, uh, people uh, in a snatch uh, Land Rover faced a huge uh, mine uh, that blew up. Uh, at that stage, uh, the uh, uh, mining uh, detection equipment uh, is not as good as it is now. It is a lot better now, and we have uh, learned lessons over these last few years, and that's why I say there are 6,000 mine detectors to be out in Afghanistan in the next few months. As far as training is concerned, the Ministry of Defence have already said that training has improved, and they will look again at how it can improve. As far as uh, the uh, issue of snatch Land Rovers are concerned, he knows that in uh, uh, 2006, uh, we decided at the rec recommendation of the Chiefs of Staff that we would allocate 90 million to buying Mastiffs, to buying Ridgebacks, to buying other vehicles, and he knows also that a contract for 200 vehicles to replace Snatch, that's lightly protected patrol vehicles, has been awarded in the last uh, few, few days. Everything that we can do to make sure that our vehicles are safer is being done, and that's why 1,100 new vehicles are out and available since 2006, and that's why we spent 1.8 billion on it. I cannot bring these uh, soldiers back to life, but can I assure him uh, and their families that we are doing everything we can to ensure that training is improved, to ensure that the uh, equipment against mines is better than it has been, and to make sure that the vehicles in which they are uh, uh, driving are safe. David Winnick. Foot on the Labour Party never needed and don't need now any lectures in patriotism. Um, but a rise... Michael Foote was one of the greatest patriots this country has had. But arising from the speech, arising from the speech of the former head of MI5, which he made yesterday, can the Prime Minister tell us when protests were made to the United States over the barbaric use of torture? When did MI5 officers know what was happening? And is it not quite clear from our experience in Northern Ireland that torture, such torture as used in the United States, uh, is counterproductive and will not help in the fight against terrorism? We do not support torture. We do not condone co torture. We condemn torture. Any instance where allegations are made about torture, these will go to the proper authorities to be investigated. Paul Burstow. 
Thank you, Mr Speaker. Um, last week, 170 families in Sutton, Cheam and Worcester Park learned that they had not been offered a place at a local high school in my constituency. They, that means that there are many boys and girls in my area who are the casualties of an unfair admission system that has condemned them to go to schools that are unpopular miles away from their homes. Will the Prime Minister look at my bill that sets out proposals to deal with this issue, and will he take the steps necessary to ensure that no child gets left behind in this way again? Yeah. At the moment, as he knows, the admission framework ensures that all parents are free to consider the right school, not just the nearest. Last year, over 85% of Sutton parents secured one of the three most preferred schools. So I recognise the intention behind the Honourable Member's uh, comments, but I have to say to him, uh, anything which narrows the range of schools available to all families is not something that we can support. On Robertson. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Will my honourable friend uh, allay the fears of my constituents and myself on the two carriers? And not do what the Leader of the Opposition in his feigned anger and also his uh, defence spokesman and say that we will open up any contracts and look for break clauses in day one of our next government. Yeah. Mr Speaker, once, once, once again, we are committed to the aircraft carriers and to the programme that is necessary for the Navy and for the defence of our country. And we are going ahead with the aircraft carrier programme because we believe on the recommendations of uh, our defence uh, staff that it is the right thing to do. I think he's right to say uh, that it would be far better if there was all-party consensus on this issue and that we had support from the opposition party on the aircraft carriers. And their silence on this issue today suggests the silence, the silence on this issue today, the silence on this issue today suggests that they cannot commit themselves to the aircraft programme. And as the Shadow Chancellor has hinted, has hinted, it may be one of the first cuts under a Conservative government. I think the public owes, is owed an answer from the Conservatives about what their position really is. Anne Widdicombe. Speaker, in view of the answer which the Prime Minister gave to his honourable friend uh, a few questions ago, could he say why, when stillbirths are running at more than 3,600, and deaths of children in the first seven days of life are running at over 1,700, he has yet to implement the recommendations of the Neonatal Task Force, which reported to the Government last year. Well, Mr Speaker, I, I do know a lot about this issue, and I do know about the problems that arise, and I do know that there are issues affecting health inequalities as well as issues of medicine involved here. And I do assure her that we are doing everything that we can to reduce the number of uh, infant deaths and to make sure, as I said to uh, my honourable friend uh, before, uh, that mothers too are safe in childbirth. I can assure her that we will do everything we can. Mr William Bain. Thank you, Mr Speaker. I'm sure the House will join me in offering <coughs> condolences to the family of those who died so tragically in my constituency on Sunday. Turning to the economy, does my right honourable friend share the views of the Executive Board of the International Monetary Fund and a growing band of leading economists, including Sir Alan Budd, that to slash public investment this year would drive us back into recession and destroy jobs? Yeah. Mr Speaker, I share the condolences he's expressed for those who died in his constituency. 
on Sunday. Uh, it, it, it is not just a Sir Alan Budd, who is the um, senior adviser to the Conservative Party on fiscal policy, who has said, who has said that we cannot remove the fiscal stimulus now. It is every sensible piece of opinion and every sensible expert opinion in this country and other countries. And how the Conservative Party can be in a position now where they are wanting to cut public spending at the moment that the recovery is fragile, I do not know. They were wrong on the issues as we entered the recession. They were wrong in calling for cuts at the height of the recession. They are now wrong in calling for cuts as we try to escape the recession. On every major economic policy question, they have been wrong, wrong and wrong again. Mr Speaker, will the Prime Minister give an unequivocal commitment that no Labour government will renege on the opt-out negotiated in the 1972 European Communities Accession Treaty to zero-rate value-added tax on food, children's clothes, newspapers and books? Mr Speaker, we made a decision in November not to go ahead with VAT but to go ahead with the national insurance rise. In fact, traditionally, the party that has raised VAT is the Conservative Party, raised from 8% to 15%, and then they raised it to 17.5%. The Tory tax is VAT, and they've imposed it many, many times. Hugh Bailey. Was it not under a Labour government that NATO was created? And doesn't the Prime Minister agree with me that its soldiers, British soldiers, from all political parties and no political parties that joined our forces throughout the Cold War period to defeat Soviet expansionism? And does he not recall that it was governments of all colours that maintained? Order. Okay, we've got the question. Prime Minister. Mr. Mr. Speaker, I I think it's important. Uh, I mean, I think it's important in this uh, House that people recognise where there is agreement and where there is not. And there is agreement on our membership of NATO. There was agreement on what we had to do to end the Cold War. There's been agreement that we need to finance our defence forces more. And there has been agreement that we need to take action in Iraq and Afghanistan. And I've got to say, for the Conservatives to reduce big issues to ridicule shows just how juvenile their behaviour in this House is. Norman Baker. Speaker, it is, unfair on, it is unfair on rail passengers and contrary to the government's carbon reduction strategy that since 1997 the cost of motoring has decreased by 14% while the cost of rail fares have gone up in real terms by 13%. Given that a large reason for this is the government's policy of forcing up rail fares 1% above inflation every single year, can he now give the House and the country an assurance if the government is re-elected they will end this RPI plus one policy and end their train fare escalator? Mr Speaker, the railways are carrying more passengers and more freight than ever since the Second World War. And we will be announcing plans tomorrow to expand our railways and to make sure we have the most modern railways for the future. And I believe that passengers welcome the fact that not only have we better train services, but trains arrive on time. And I think it's important to recognise the huge investment that this government has made in the railways of this country. Barry Sherman. 
to my right honourable friend aware of the insidious campaign of the Murdoch Empire to undermine public service broadcasting in general and the BBC in particular. As we go to a general election, will he affirm that this, this government supports public service broadcasting and the BBC? Yeah. Mr Speaker, what worries, what worries me more is the Conservative campaign to undermine the BBC and Ofcom and British Telecom. And the Conservatives have made announcements that put at risk the future of digitalisation and broadband in this country. We are determined that everyone in this country has access to broadband and access to the best services. The Conservative policy would make sure that 100% did not have full access.